1: If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com. That's K O hyphen fi.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alone dot com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, this week's episode is going to be a question from one of our writers. The question is basically how to find twists that fit your story. I also wanted to note that at the end of the episode, there's going to be a little additional thing. I unfortunately, <laughs> this kind of like a nightmare come true, um, Well, while doing the Halloween episodes, one slipped through the crack. Not one episode, sorry, one story. Uh, the contract was signed, it was recorded, and I just failed to make a proper notation of it. So at the very end, there's going to be a story tagged on it is a story that should have been aired and my apologies i i really it's a great story and i do apologize to the author who we will list in the show notes hi i'm rebecca gallardo the host of alone in a room with invisible people i am here today with author and teacher holly lyle after the halloween podcast and she is making funny faces (laughs) (laughs) so um obviously i just wanted to say real quick Thank you guys so much for the amazing response for the Halloween podcast. It was just incredible. Um, I know everybody was really pleased with Mark. Mark did an amazing job. Well, Mark's amazing. Yeah. Did you happen to to listen to part two yet? Or I not have yet? not gotten to listen to part yeah, I two yet. Yeah, you were That's, busy. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I've been kind of swamped, but. Yeah.
1: Well, today we are going to be answering some more questions. Um, I'm not sure how many episodes we're going to get out of these. They'll so have to chop them up later. So what you'll be listening to is going to be very specific and we'll, we'll put in the titles. Um, you'll you'll hear a title, but it will have been put in afterwards because we're just going to be sitting here answering questions for a couple hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> but before we do that, um, I just wanted to let you guys know what we've been doing it isn't very much um but you know i mean not very much as as far as the writing ends obviously i did probably about three and a half to four four no i did something like three weeks worth of full-time work on the podcast (laughs) yeah put everything together if, if you're counting from when we launched the official submissions yeah so I've done a little tiny bit of revision, but I'm looking forward to my Monday, which is going to be editing another podcast and then revisions. Holly, how about you?
2: Well, overall, um, the last week, I got actually two days of revision in on Dead Man's Party. So that was my first fiction since the move. And um, it, it went very well and um i did you know my stuff for the podcast and then today my main computer died so (laughs) (laughs) um i'm i'm looking at uh well there's no place locally to get another mac and yeah and um (laughs) i'm 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 a little stressed out about that but aside from that um everything's good (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> because at least I still have my backup computer, and at least we were still using the, the laptop for doing the podcast, so.
1: Yeah, and this is a <sighs> huge, like, reminder to all writers and everything. Have backups. Have a Dropbox oh. account or something like that. Ha- you know, save your stuff to external hard drives oh. because, yeah. Oh, yeah, I and am,
2: I am not free. You, I, you have no idea how freaked out I would be if I did not have two. Count them, two. Separate backup hard drives plus all my stuff on Dropbox.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's She's been through enough issues with Windows and PCs oh in the past where she's lost things that she can't get back mm-hmm. that she is, is now, you know, very careful with her backups. Oh, yeah. And for anybody who has been mm-hmm. listening this whole time while I was still editing and working on leaving Wanda Lucia, I finally got an answer. I did get rejected from Harlequin, and it was a very, very good... Rejection. So a personal
2: um, rejection. Yeah, personal from the editor. Letter. Yeah,
1: and it said basically, um, we have very similar stories in the pipeline. Which I kind of was like, yeah, but I sent this in fourteen plus months ago, so maybe you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't. Yeah, have yours, so. no, I yeah, <laughs> I didn't say anything like that. Um, yeah. And I think the thing is, it's the stalker X. I went very, very cliche a little bit with with the general plot but the other thing that was very important that she said was it's very heroin centric um it's mainly her story and yeah there there is the point of view of the males and uh, the the male and a few other people in there but they focus on that particular line um they give both characters their big storylines and then have them come together. Mine was very heroin focused and she said, And that's fine, but it doesn't fit this particular line and she said, Please feel free to send me future stuff, though I can see why you would be hesitant to do so. She was <laughs> yes. fourteen months later. Yes. She yeah, was but- she was horrified at my wait time. She does she doesn't know how it got lost, but she you know, she was amazing. Patience Bloom, she does the romance suspense line at um, Harlequin. And uh, just a shout out to her because I, I reached out to her on Twitter, immediately got a response, didn't even know until seven hours later because I figured, you know, she's probably very busy. Um, and she she told me she would come back by a certain date. I, I heard from her by the Monday that she said she would should hear from me. And she was incredibly professional and incredibly nice, and it was it was very inspiring to hear that. You yeah. know, it, the story had showed promise, but it didn't fit because of these very specific things. And Great. I was like, hell yeah, that is that is a very good rejection.
2: Yes, it was. Yes, and I thought that was exciting as hell. <laughs> so
1: that's pretty much everything. Let's go ahead and get into the questions. Cool. So, we had one on the... These are all from the forum. These are all picked out by Holly. And these so are just, all
2: older ones this time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We're, we're getting back to the to the older questions because the last couple have been very recent ones. Mm-hmm. So, we, we don't want to ignore anybody. Um, so, the question. My biggest problem is thinking of the thing that changes in the scene in advance of writing it. I can think of lots of changes, but it's thinking of something that changes... And I, I, I'm assuming here she's she's speaking of the like twist. The twist, yeah, yeah. Um, I can think of lots of thing that change, lots of changes, but it's thinking of something that changes that fits in with what's been written. That is hard. I do need to think of the change in advance, or else my writing meanders and lacks focus and conflicts. What's the best way to come up with a scene change that fits the story that isn't me dropping aliens or anvils on
2: characters' heads? Yeah. Um, and that is a really, really common question. It's, you know, how, while, while I'm writing along, how do I find the twist? Um, mm-hmm. Now, there are a number of ways to do this, and, and one of them is taking little planning breaks and planning ahead, maybe two or three scenes. Yeah. And um, for that, we've, we've talked before about putting mm-hmm. together uh, pacts protagonist antagonist conflict twist setting writing what's called what I call the sentence, which is protagonist ver- versus antagonist in a setting with a twist and that has all five elements of pacts in it.
1: And try to keep that or or like after you write it, try to narrow it down to 30 words.
2: right and then just do one of those per scene and that is one way to do it. It is by no means the only way to do it but if you plan three or four sometimes five scenes in advance I think uh with the how to write a novel class I had people writing planning out about five scenes in advance because Mm -hmm. it it kept the people who were pantsers from going wildly astray but it kept the people who were heavy heavy plotters from getting so freaking buried in their world building and their plotting that they didn't get the book done.
1: Yeah, and that's another thing too is that um, I've done it all three ways. I've pantsed. I've I've done the super plot, with, especially with the first book I ever wrote, which is take a chance on me. That was the romance that I was that that people clearly did not want to <laughs> see in the revision. They wanted the um, the what was it? Uh, Glass house. Yes. But it's the the plotting. I find. Like if you're plotting the entire book ahead of time. Um, and this is this is something new for me was your just a couple of scenes ahead thing, it's so refreshing. It's like I, I've always plotted full on ahead of time. And A, you end up not using a lot of it because of certain big changes that, that come into effect when you're when you're just writing mm-hmm. and you're trying to work. And it's like, okay, am I stuck to this old thing? that I that my muse my right brain is is feeling is stale or do I move to the to the really you know new juicy thing I came up with or do I go on with this this new thing you know and it's and when I was plotting just a few things ahead I mean I had a vague idea of an ending in mind or or no that's right I started uh the house on Andrew's Ave with an ending kind of already there so it, it was neat to work towards an ending but to work four or five scenes ahead of time and just kind of sometimes the twists just naturally come up and that's something that you get with time that's something that it's time and experience it'll become easier but how holly do you do it when you're when you don't have a whole lot of time and experience on your end
2: right um you you need to have a concept of what your story is if And this, this goes back to the questioner's um, anvils and, uh, what was it? Anvils aliens. And Damn. Uh, an- yeah. Anvils and aliens, yes. that which, which is a really cute way of saying, how do I keep from throwing my book completely off the rails? Yes. Which all of us have at one time or another done. And I've done it several times and have a couple of serious major hard drive zombies <laughs> on my hard drive because of this because of this very thing
1: and brian wants the um the (laughs) slutty redhead fbi agent story he wants you to write a story about that i'm like she probably would but she's just got no time
2: (laughs) yeah she's a hoe, man she's a total hoe. (laughs) but yeah that's a
1: good question because a lot of people don't i guess they don't start off with this very clear concept of their story and i mean hell most people don't and it's
2: Right. You have you have an idea. You have this this perky little idea and the back of your brain says, I know the whole story. And it's lying through its teeth. Yeah, Um, because it's it's like the person who sends you an email and says, look, I have this idea and if you'll write it, I'll pay you half of whatever we make so that you can write the book, because I've got the idea. Okay, well, (laughs) as you're finding out while you're writing, the idea is not the book. Yeah, And the idea is just a tiny fragment, a, a bit of inspiration that pulls you towards this story that you then have to fill out in bigger detail. And the things that you most need to know are what the main story is that you're telling, because if you have a grasp on this, you will not drop anvils and aliens in places where they don't belong.
1: Yeah, you kind of have to set yourself up with some rules as far as what can go into. That's that's why when I created Fulton Hills, the entire world, I decided definitely no extraterrestrials, um, magic, magical creatures. But there, like, I don't want it to be... Um, the crime dramas, what do they call those? uh, Procedurals. Procedurals, I don't, yeah, I don't want it to have a a heavy emphasis on procedural, you know, aspects, even though there are, you know, police and medical professionals in there. It's,
2: yeah, well, let's, let's talk about a procedural, procedural for a second, because I just have happened to have one of these in the back of my mind. A procedural starts with crime. Mm -hmm. It generally starts with a dead body. (laughs) It generally starts right at the very beginning with your question, this big question, w- yeah, what is going on? Why is this person dead?
1: Who is this person who killed them? Yeah, how did they kill them?
2: A- and anything that does not tie into why who is this person? Why are they dead? How did they get dead? Um, and who is going to find out is off target for that story.
1: Yeah, but then of course you still got the aliens and anvils. okay, well I'm I'm at a loss right. for what's next. Well, What if I bring an alien?
2: <laughs> right? What if What if an alien did it? Okay, What if what if uh, the person was killed by an anvil falling out of the sky? Mm-hmm. Well, that kills your procedural is what that is. Yes. And it might it might seem like the thing to do at the time. but if you understand what your story needs to be, if you're writing science fiction, um, and you are writing hard science fiction that relies on science, you do not, when you get stuck in a corner, throw in magic. Mm-hmm. If you are writing a, a really hot, sexy novel about a guy and a girl, um, you do not throw in, and, and, and you have that is the whole thing. It's the romance right there. It's romance. It's boy. It's girl. It's hot. Um, you do not throw in a murder. Yeah. You you have to understand to avoid Anvils and aliens. You have to understand what it is about the story that matters to you, and if you're not writing in a specific genre, if you are just writing the story you want to write, then you have to understand what about that story it is that you want to write because it's not going to be everything your muse throws at you while you're going along. Yeah, you got to
1: understand the limitations and the rules that that your world yeah. has and your <laughs> your. Even if you don't have a specific genre in mind, limitations are a blessing.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. Limitations will save your ass. Yeah. And they will make your story a million times better. If anything can happen, nothing matters. But if very only very specific kind of things can happen, and those things are happening all the way along, then everything matters. And it is pulling people into, oh, my God, that's a clue. That's something important. That's a hint. What does it mean? What does it mean that keeps them turning pages? Because you understand your world. And I guess one of the really big things that we've hit on a couple of times here now that we should mention is that world is what keeps you from dropping anvils and aliens yes if you don't know your world and know exactly what is in your world you're gonna have problems and they're gonna be big
1: yeah so if you can't really define the genre like when i was writing leaving Wanda lucia it was a very specific genre and i had that genre so i knew what to put in it but then then when I went to the Fulton Hills, I don't have the genre. So I had to create those world rules. So mm-hmm. I knew, you know, I can't drop in aliens because there won't be aliens, you know. <laughs> yes. um, anvils, yeah, maybe. But <laughs> it's, it's just not stuff out of the blue, which I think is, is, is right. the point.
2: Right. Well, I just realized something sitting here. I have a freebie download um, in the shop on the World Building Clinic. It is a five minute world, downloadable PDF.
1: We'll just put it in the show notes. So go to the show notes at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com.
2: Look for this episode. And Becky will put the link in, yeah. And it will show you in five minutes. You will build a world, a surprisingly deep, compelling world in just five minutes. It's a, it's an absolute freebie workshop that is just like my my opening throwaway in the actual class. So it's going to bring
1: you to a sales page and just look for your freebie. Yeah, very cool. Yeah,
2: that is a, that is a complete no no obligation whatsoever thing. Yeah, just like so. our
1: worksheets that we add to the. Uh... To the website yeah, so yeah exactly. that's a neat way to kind of limit yourself and in a good way create the limitations right. for the worlds that you need as far right. well, as that
2: workshop that tiny little workshop shows specifically how to create a one limitation world if there is only one thing you can put in the world and then you build from that. Nice. So that yeah. is the most limited of limitations, which is what made me think of it.
1: Now this woman says that she's she has to plot ahead of time. She has to. She does need to think of the change in advance. I like the fact that she's been writing long enough to at least know that um, she's not a pantser. She's somebody mm-hmm. that, or at least she's not a huge pantser. She's somebody that does have to have these these answers in advance. But I wanted to ask you, like, when when you are like that when when you have when you know yourself so well sometimes like I did you fall into this trap of thinking okay this is the way that I do things because mm-hmm. before I took the how to write your novel class and remember I've I've been writing for 20 something years now I I'm old <laughs> I can't say that <laughs> but I have been writing since I was 11 years old and I I formed this this idea in my head of how to write, of how I need to come up with the twists of how I need to do this. And before I took the How to Write a Novel course, I was stuck in that. So when I mm-hmm. took the How to Write a Novel course, it opened my mind that it's just another tool. I can go back I... to that if I need it. So how she, she could very possibly be stuck in this idea of this is how I do things. So how, how could she work with
2: that? Um, when... <laughs> When you are looking at some a process that isn't working for you and what you have defined, Um, where you are doing it this specific way and then it's repeatedly breaking is a process that has ceased to work for you for at least this one instance. This isn't to say that it isn't going to work in other places.
1: Or you can't modify it.
2: Right. But there are times when it is time to walk away from a process that you're doing and try something different. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I would do, I would suggest, is you have to plan You're saying, okay, well, I've got to plan, what, several scenes in advance? Um, Don't. For a while, try just writing and just chasing the the twist. Mm -hmm. Chase, let your muse put down whatever weird-ass thing it wants. Let it drop its anvil. I wrote Dead Man's Party that way. Yeah. And I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen until my muse let it happen, and that's how I ended up with a dead guy taping his throat shut in the first chapter of the book, Um, and that's not the way it's going to be in the revision. That changed drastically. It's still in there, but it's not the first chapter of the book, but that's what my muse threw at me that was nowhere near what I had started to plan out,
1: yeah, it can be scary to let go. It can be scary to yeah. to to let go of that process. It was scary as hell for me walking into how to wrote, write a novel and deciding, "Okay, I'm going to do this world that I love that I've been working on since I was 19. I'm going to do it the how to write a novel way and I am not going to go back to my old stuff." It's scary. Right. It can be um it, it can stifle you for a minute to to mm-hmm. to sit there and think that you don't have these old old throwbacks that like the the old standards that have always worked for you in the past but the point is that if it's no longer working it's not serving you or your writing so it's it's kind of a good thing to to let your muse breathe because your muse your right brain is the one that needs to be stimulated
2: Mm
1: you know the the inner critic is the one that is clinging. That left brain is the one that is clinging to procedure, clinging to the things that you've done a million times.
2: And this is a case of if you have an idea of what your world can have in it, then you can trust your muse to go ahead and run without a plan for a little while. Because if you understand the world, and that was what we did in the How to Write a Novel class, was we built this little thing that gave you a piece of your world and then you worked off of that and it set very strict limitations to what the world could do if you have world limitations and you understand what those are and you have some sort of a concept of the kind of story that you want to write which is what we talked about even earlier yeah is you know if it's a romance it has to be a romance and you know you don't throw murder (laughs) mysteries and stuff into into the middle of it you don't kill off the hero um then you you go ahead and you trust your muse you you chase the rabbit for a little while and see where the rabbit leads where you know what what strange little hole it'll drop you down in and if you end up there with a dead guy taping his throat shut or um an alien walks onto the stage and it fits the it fits the world that you set the limitations to then you you let your muse do that you you say okay Okay, just take me where this is going and let me see for now what else is in there. Yeah. But but again, you do have to have world limitations set and in place before you can trust your muse to do that. Otherwise it all just goes to shit.
1: Yeah, and just remember too, <laughs> the biggest thing that I learned through how to revise your novel is that and everything is fixable. Every every mistake that you make is fixable. It's just it the more mistakes you make, the more work it is. But if you're a writer, y- you're gonna excel when you finally find those fixes. It's it's gonna be one of those breakthrough, oh my god, amazing moments that we that we have when we're writing.
2: Oh, God, yes. It's
1: the same thing when you're revising. You just have to know how to revise right. And 90% of the people who are revised just don't know how to do it where it's yeah. fun and it's invigorating and it's incredible. Um, but, yeah, the, the last – do you have any last kind of hints or notes or anything for this particular one?
2: Yeah. Um, just in what – it. one more thing that you can do. One one thing that I would recommend probably for anybody who is in this position where you are afraid to let go because you have had so many things go off the rails is before you go any further, just sit down and in one sentence write down what my story, what this story means to me. Just, you know, I want to write true love and I want to make myself cry when I do it. Or I want to scare the ever-loving crap out of myself and and make my readers shriek when they discover what really happens at the end of this thing. Or I just want to to, to write people that I care about and let them come to some kind of a happy ending after all the shit I'm going to drag them through.
1: Yeah. Or let, let your muse kind of play on the paper, too. I think that that's important, yeah. too, is just... Let your muse get all of these ideas out. And again, what Holly says, and this is really important, is never say, oh, that idea is stupid. That oh, That's one of those things that's going to lead you to dropping aliens or anvils on characters' heads is you have poo-pooed. <laughs> I love that word. You have <laughs> poo-pooed your muse's ideas so often that it can't function because immediately... You know, it, it's stopping itself before it thinks of good things because it,
2: it because you keep slapping it in the face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, and well, because you're right brain editor, let's left put the blame brain. where the blame belongs. Yes, left, left brain editor. No, sorry, yes. See, <laughs> seriously, left and right. I have. I'm never ever going to get those right. Um, <laughs> yeah, the left yeah. brain editor left is a brain dick. Editor is a dick, and will slap your muse around because your your muse is this playful child. And throws awesome stuff out and leaves a mess on the floor and, and is chaotic and, uh, but it's brilliant and you have to let it play. Yeah. Yeah. And part of, part of shutting down your left brain, Redditor, editor, left brain editor, and making it stop calling ideas stupid um, is what frees up the muse to do the things that it, it does best.
1: And we have episodes on the left brain. Um, you know, I'll, okay. I'll see if I can find some some links and put them in the show notes. But it's basically you just got to say, you know, you'll get your turn in revision. And mm-hmm. just you can even correct yourself. If you sit there and you say, well, that's stupid, then just immediately catch yourself and say, no. No, it's not stupid.
2: And say it out loud yeah absolutely <laughs> because your your right brain, it doesn't communicate through the same channels as the left brain. And the right brain could stand to hear it. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah.
1: And you know what? If you're sitting there thinking you're feeling ridiculous, I, I sit there and I speak out dialogue to myself while I'm on while I'm in the bathroom, while I'm taking a shower, while I'm walking around the house. Tony, uh, you know, if, if, if Tony was to watch the security, because we've got security cameras, if he was to sit there and watch some of the replays of the security cameras, he would... He would institutionalize me because, <laughs> because I am I, I sound like other people talking out dialogue, talking out these plot ideas. I'm I'm constantly talking to myself or to the animals in and it's it's just a way to work things out. So telling yourself, no, that's not a bad idea is is not as crazy as that
2: (laughs) no no it's not and and it's not as crazy as my worst case which is when I went out in the backyard in Todd Circle while you guys were at school one day and Fought out a fight scene for oh god diplomacy of wolves or something I forget where it was I was writing at the time while doing the dialogue running th- dialogue through my head at the same time for both parts. Yes, I've I've I i have i did not do the dialogue because
1: there wasn't any, but I have physically done some really weird movements just to kind of mm-hmm. see, including like laying on the ground, like moving around like a like a weird kind of just to see what a, a human body could could move the extensions and, and the different forms and stuff. And yeah. I'm pretty sure if Tony had seen that, we didn't have security cameras on there, <laughs> but if Tony had seen that, he would have called 911 and been like, my <laughs> wife is having some really weird kind of fit seizure thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, or the time I stuck pencils in my mouth. Yeah. So that I they could were actually figure out. Yeah. They. I made them into fangs so that I could su- understand what somebody who sounded, had fangs, actual real fangs, sounded like because she kept turning out was Yowley in the Rose Sea and she kept sounding like Dracula and when I actually stuck the pencils in my mouth and then read her dialogue it sounded completely different and I got it right
1: yeah so writers do a lot of crazy things in order to get accuracy in order to get you know uh, uh, inspiration and again this is the muse playing too. the part of this is the muse playing so you know don't don't limit yourself and and definitely don't worry about telling yourself out loud that your ideas are not stupid
2: right right take a chance do a little bit of stupid shit you know just maybe close the door before you do it you know don't let the neighbors hear Uh, but aside from that go for it
1: is there any takeaway for that particular question
2: I think that was it yeah uh, you know plan do some little planning breaks um, have some just and then trust yourself to and tell yourself that one sentence about why you really want to write the story and then just trust yourself to take some chances
1: Okay, well, that was this week's episode. That was this question that we had um, sitting around. And just to let you guys know, um, if you have questions, anything like that, just go to the forums. And if you don't have a hollyswritingclasses.com account, it's free, you get the free how to Write flash fiction that doesn't suck, course, plus a whole lot of freebies with the summer of fiction writing. And go into the forums. It's very clearly labeled podcast. And ask the questions. We've, we have a topic just for that. We have a lot of questions in there, but we are getting to them. If you'd like to, you can follow us on the socials. That is at AIA. R-W-I-P on Twitter, Alone with Invisible People on Instagram, Alone in a Room with Invisible People on Facebook, and you can always take a look at our website, alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. If you'd like to support us, go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com slash support us for more information on that. You can also support us on coffee, that's ko-fi.com forward slash alone. And now, as promised for the unfortunately-my-fault-late Halloween story,
2: Just Desserts.
0: Just Desserts, by Vicky Shepard Slow down, lad! Georgie stopped, pulled his coat tighter to keep out the October wind blustering unimpeded across the marsh, and thrust his torch into the soggy ground. The flame sputtered but held. He closed his hand around the soul cake his mother had put in his pocket before finally releasing him into the night. ''I don't like you going out,'' she'd scolded. ''Ah, ma'am, the excise asked for me special. I'm the only one knows the path through the bog. Don't you forget what tonight is. You take this.'' The fresh spice cake, a cross neatly incised on its flattened surface, had gone in his pocket along with the balaclava his father had sent from the Crimea, with strict instructions that the cake was not for eating and the balaclava was to hide his face from the roaming spirits on this all Hallows' eve. Georgie smirked. He'd nibbled nearly half the cake by the time the captain and the portly Mr. Price caught up with him. "'Is it far, boy?' asked the captain. "'We'm about halfway, sir.' "'I still don't see what's wrong with a dry carriage.' grumbled Price, shaking water from his boots. ''You think Black Jenkins will just let you attend the Isis? Your evidence will hang him, man. He's agents all over the county who'll gladly see you dead in a ditch. They wouldn't think of the marsh, though.'' ''Nor would I,'' muttered Price. Georgie took his chance. Grabbing the torch and flinging it as far as he could, he sped off into the dark. Ignoring the shouts of outrage. He sprang sure-footed into the darkness, a crescent moon gave him all the light he needed. Silence engulfed him and he stopped to take his bearings. The wind had dropped, mist was beginning to rise. His ears were chilled, but he couldn't find the balaclava. Finally, he saw a pinprick of light. Jenkins had promised someone would meet him on the east side to guide him out. The smuggler also promised him a small fortune if he lost his charges to the bog. And that his house would be razed with his mom inside it if he didn't. He'd gone 50 paces before he suddenly found himself up to his waist in ooze. Confused, he flailed around but only sank further. The light was coming closer. He cried out in relief. I see your face, Georgie Hughes. A small, whizzing gnome-like creature with a horn lantern danced out of the mist and crouched down before him. Treacherous boy, the Pooka knows. Brazen boy to come out unmasked tonight. Wicked boy who gets his just deserts. Georgie, still slowly sinking, shook his head in disbelief, remembering tales his mother had told him of the Pooka, the fairy folk with little lights that lure you to your doom, who couldn't harm you if you bore a cross and hid your face. He saw the balaclava in the puka's hand as the icy, fetid water flooded his screaming throat.